Let's go to Genesis chapter 6 again this week. Obviously, all the books of our Bible are vital, but we can say the book of Genesis is foundational. Because of this, we are currently making our way through a book of our Bible which has probably been attacked more than any other book in all of the Scriptures. And sadly, that is true for both outside and inside churches. You realize there's churches who do not believe the Genesis account of creation. Many have attacked the book of Genesis in particular because they just can't seem to come to terms that these events really happened. And instead try to say that everything is just It's just made up. It's just mythology. It's just something to help our minds comprehend. And so when you come to the flood, you have to decide, is this true? Because there's many who say, no, it's no way God could have flooded the entire world with water. Well, then you don't believe that's the same God who could bring something out of nothing. It's just interesting. And so this is is all attacked. Satan doesn't like this book. Of course, he hates God's Word altogether. And so people will scoff and do everything they can to prove to themselves why this can't be. Well, we'll save some of that for later. But in the meantime, how did it get to the point that God was going to destroy all humanity? And really everything in it that had the breath of life on earth. How did we get to this point that God's going to destroy everything? Well, it all started with a breakdown of the home. Are you listening this morning? It all started with a breakdown of the home. When God's standards were no longer important. When God's people were no longer important. We would say in our day when God's church was no longer important. There was a breakdown in the home, and we've already seen in this chapter how the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they took them, wives, all of which they chose. They were being led by the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and what pleased them sensually is who they chose without any regard to God or His commands or His requirements or His holiness. And and this led to a breakdown of the home. And every generation that followed progressively got worse and worse. And we took note of God's assessment over the last three weeks in this chapter. Remember in verse 5, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then verses 12 and 13, And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And because of this corruption, God has said, That's it. It's gone far enough. Judgment is on the way. God said in verse 7, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. In verse 13, God said, I will destroy them with the earth. And in verse 17, God said, everything that is in the earth shall die. 
And last week I talked about how it sure seems like we're approaching the days of Noah once again. And this is significant because our Lord said, but as it was in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. No one knows the day or hour, but the seasons would sure seem to suggest that we are getting closer. We are certainly getting more and more wicked. And we are certainly seeing a breakdown of the home. And we are certainly seeing the earth filled with violence. The exact same things that were taking place here in Genesis chapter 6. And when that day arrives, God will once again destroy this earth when He returns. But this time it will be by fire and not by water. And whether or not we're the terminal generation, I don't know. But I know this, we will all stand before God in judgment. The saved will be judged according to their works, whether they were for the Lord's glory or not. The unsaved will be judged according to their sins and then will be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So you have to ask the question, why won't those in Christ be judged for their sins? Aren't they sinners? Yes, but it's because God laid upon Christ the iniquity of us all. Our sins were upon our Lord. He bore them. He shed His blood to uh, remit our sins. And we have by faith received the payment of Jesus Christ for us in order that we might be forgiven. And we did so by faith. And it is by God's mercy and grace that He took my sins away and that He washed them. They're gone. They're not just covered. They're washed away. I pray you're ready to meet thy Maker. All right, chapter 6, verses 8 through 10 this morning say, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. After God saw the wickedness of man, and after God said He would destroy mankind from the face of the earth, we get this wonderful statement here in verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now before I begin to break down verses 8 and 9, I would like to one last time highlight why I do not believe the sons of God could be fallen angels intermixing with human women. And I believe this might be the most convincing argument yet in my mind. For those who conclude Noah was the last on earth who had not been corrupted by the intermixing of fallen angels with human women through successive generations don't realize it. But what they are actually saying is that Noah finding grace in the eyes of the Lord was dependent upon those who lived before him. Because what people are saying is if these are fallen angels, and I know many people believe that, that the only reason Noah could find grace is because his line hadn't been corrupted yet. Well, that means for Noah to find grace, it would be dependent upon other people. This is a major doctrinal problem. Because it reduces saving grace to works. In other words, had those in Noah's line not married correctly, then he could have never been saved. That's the thinking by those. If they would have intermixed with fallen angels, then he could not have been saved because of how his ancestors chose to live. But God never operates this way. Being spared by God is never determined by someone else. If your family line was wicked, you can still be saved. 
And if your family line was righteous, you still need to be saved. Your salvation is never determined by how someone else lives. And the same was true for Noah. As we begin to break down these verses, if you're in the know on this debate, then you'll see there's simply just been a lack of study, especially in verse 9. So try to stay with me. We see in verse 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now I want you to understand as we begin, Noah needed God's grace. All right? He was not this special guy that just happened to stay uncorrupted. He, he, he needed God's grace. And as I just mentioned, some say he found that grace because he was not tainted by the intermixing of fallen angels, but that would amount to salvation through works. And Romans eleven six 6 is very clear. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, works is no more work. Therefore, Noah could not have found saving grace through his works or the works of his ancestors before him But just like all who have ever lived, Noah needed the grace of God because he was a sinner. Let's not forget what God's grace is. I think most would agree with Noah Webster's definition, and he defines grace, the free, unmerited love and favor of God. Free and unmerited love and favor of God. Grace is unmerited or it is undeserved or else it would cease to be grace. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve. Therefore, by virtue of Noah finding grace, it means he didn't deserve to live either. God said all flesh had corrupted themselves. God said He's going to destroy all, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, Noah deserved death, but God was gracious to spare him, which Noah did not earn in and of himself. By the way, the same is true for you and I. We deserve death. We deserve to be in hell. But I found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God is gracious here to Noah. I said Wednesday night that God doesn't owe us anything except what His Word declares. And God said He would bring the promised seed into the world in Genesis 3.15 to bruise the head of Satan and God always keeps His Word. And we see here that God would now do this through Noah. You may remember I still have one verse to cover in chapter 5. I left it there saying we would return to it when we caught back up with Noah in chapter 6. And this is probably as good a place as any to get to it. If you'll kind of just look back there at the end of chapter 5 in verse 29, we read, And he, that's speaking of Lamech, Noah's dad, And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Now there's different ideas as to what's being said here, what is meant by Lamech's prophecy. One is that somehow Noah would cause husbandry, farming, 
um, against this curse upon the ground to be eased through some sort of invention. I don't know. Some tie this to Genesis 8.21 where God said, After the flood, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Some believe Lamech thought Noah would be the promised seed. And we've thought about that even with Cain and Eve. Remember when she gave birth to Cain. And some think that maybe Lamech here had the idea that Noah was that promised seed to come. Some say it was because Noah was a preacher of righteousness, which would be a comfort. And while I do think that this passage in chapter 5 is to be understood spiritually, I think it looks beyond Noah and to the one who would bruise the serpent's head. I believe this is a prophecy pointing to the fact that Christ is still on the way. Lamech said Noah would comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord had cursed. And so I I believe this is a reference to our only comfort in this cursed world that we live in. You live in a cursed world today. You're dying. Amen. You have glasses on. You're dying. Congratulations, Danny. Quit laughing. You're dying. It's Christmas season, amen? Isn't this wonderful? (laughs) Why do y'all even show up here? I don't know, but God bless you. We we live in a sin-filled, a sin-cursed world. God has cursed the ground. We we covered all that in chapter 3. And there's only one who can deliver us from the curse. And that is the Lord Himself. Which is why He said you must be born again. From Noah would come the promised seed. God would eventually fulfill His Word through Noah. I believe it was was known by Lamech that destruction was on the way. And that it was revealed to them that it was going to happen in the year that Methuselah died. I I mentioned all that. We're going to cover that later on uh, in another message. But... I believe they had knowledge that judgment was on the way. And and for this reason, Noah would be a source of comfort. He would be a hope in a cursed world because through him, the hope of the promised arrival would be kept alive. But, But back to my point, I personally don't hold the idea that God was gracious to Noah because of the theory he had, he was the last living who hadn't been corrupted by these fallen angels. Rather, Noah needed God's grace, like all of us, because he too was born in the image and likeness of Adam. He was born a sinner. But but then we still have to try to answer the question, why was God so gracious to Noah? How was it that only Noah, and, and think about how many people lived on the earth in that day, It very well could have been into the billions. How is it that only Noah found grace out of all humanity? Well, I want you to understand this morning, get this, it wasn't because grace wasn't available to anybody else. Grace was available to all. As a token of God's grace being available to all, we read in Matthew 5.45, For he, speaking of God, maketh his son to rise on the evil and the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. He's good to the lost. He lets the sun come up. 
He's good to the lost. He lets the rains fall. That's His grace. And, and so as a token of that, God, God shows that my grace is available to all. He, he's, he's gracious to all humanity. And, and He was gracious to all humanity before the flood because He even said, I'll give you 120 years to repent before the judgment would fall. In addition, we're told in Titus 2.11, get this, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to who? All men. You say, well, does that mean everybody's saved? No, that's not what it means. It means the payment's been made for everybody. And it's up to you to receive that payment. According to Romans 5.2, access to God's grace is through Christ. So you're not just in God's saving grace. You didn't just get born into that. But that is something that you have to find yourself. I'm going to get ahead of my notes, and I didn't, want to, I didn't want to, but let me just go ahead and say it. You have to seek after God. Grace is available to all who will receive it through Christ. The problem is not all will receive it. Not all will receive it. There are some here that have yet to receive it. Isn't that something? How would you like to be standing before God on Judgment Day and live right across the street from a church that preaches the gospel, having never met God? Can you imagine how much sore punishment suppose ye would be those who have sat under the preaching? And so God's grace is available to all, but not all will receive it because it requires faith in Christ. And the fact that you would seek faith in Christ would acknowledge that you have a need. Right? And people are too stinking prideful. I'm not that bad. No, you're that bad. Back to the question, why was God so gracious to Noah while He spared no one else? I want to submit to you this morning that it was because Noah was desirous of God's grace. I think I can make the argument that this is really the idea of what this verse is saying when it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was seeking after God's grace, therefore he found it. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Consider these verses, they use the same Hebrew word for found, and they're used in connection with seeking. Deuteronomy 4.29, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find Him, if thou seek Him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. 1 Chronicles 28.9, For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek Him, He will be found of thee. 2 Chronicles 15.2, the Lord is with you while ye be with Him. And if ye seek Him, He will be found of you. But if ye forsake Him, He will forsake you. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And He will have mercy upon him and to our God. For He will abundantly pardon. Jeremiah 29, 13. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all thine heart. Proverbs eight seventeen. I love them that love me, 
and those that seek me early shall find me. And this principle isn't just in the Old Testament, but we see it in the New Testament. Jesus said, seek and ye shall find. You see, God's grace isn't just for a select company, but it is available to all. However, it'll only be found by those who seek. Well, now you're making salvation works. No, no, no. You have got to hunger and thirst for a Savior. He will not force Himself upon you. It takes humility to seek for God because it requires the admittance that you are a sinner. The only time I could think of in the Bible where it says God gives grace to someone is always in connection to God giving grace to the humble. Proverbs 3.34, God gives grace to the lowly. James 4.6 and 1 Peter 5.5, God giveth grace to the humble. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord Because he recognized he was a sinner in need of a Savior. He understood his guiltiness in light of God's holiness. And as a result, Noah didn't try to earn God's grace. He sought to find God's grace. Hebrews 4.16 Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and... Find grace to help in the time of need. you got to seek it. And it's sad how many churches have perverted the grace of God. Grace is for the humble sinner who will seek for God's forgiveness. But today we frequently hear how God's grace is available so that you can achieve earthly blessings and, and have happiness and success. It's as if God's grace is not for the broken and contrite heart, but instead God's grace is somehow for you to be elevated in life and have your best life now. But one cannot fully appreciate God's grace until they realize they are hell-deserving sinners. To appreciate God's grace, one must understand there is nothing good in them, but that they stand in need of God's grace To save them. Once that is understood, the seeking will commence. Noah understood all this, and by faith he sought after God. And as a result, he found God's grace. He didn't find grace because he was righteous through his own works. He found grace because by faith he obtained the righteousness of God. Romans 3, verses 22 and 23 even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And having received of the grace of God, Noah got to work by faith. He got busy. By faith. Hebrews eleven seven. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, 
by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because Noah had faith in God. He sought the Lord by faith and he found Him. For by grace are you saved through faith. And faith without works is dead. Say, what do you mean? James said, you know, tell me you have faith. I'll show you my faith. I'll be doing something for God while you're just sitting there saying you have faith. Well, I don't want to preach there. That'll be too heavy for December the 18th. Faith without works is dead. Noah didn't work to obtain grace, but I wish everybody could get a hold of this. He worked because he had obtained grace. Now, that'll be more in another message. I want to highlight Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because here's another reason. Because God's character will not allow him to destroy his children by his wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 tells us, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, God had to remove Noah before destruction, just like God had to remove Lot before destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, just like God will have to remove us before He destroys this earth. Noah found grace. He didn't deserve it. Lot found grace, and we know he definitely did not deserve it. And we too one day will find grace before God's judgment, and we know we don't deserve it either. It is God's goodness to His children. Luke 17, verses 26 through 30, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also was it in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Just as God had to take out Noah, God had to take out Lot, God will have to take us out of here through the rapture. It's because of who God is and not because of who Noah was that God was gracious to him and spared him. It's because God will not and cannot pour out His wrath upon His children. Somebody tells you to go to hell, I can't. I can't. I'm under the blood. He cannot violate His character. We can also learn from this phrase, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, how God searches the hearts of all mankind. God isn't haphazardly going to just pour out judgment. He has overlooked all of humanity and made this determination. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. God knows the hearts of men. He knows those who are His and those who aren't. God keeps an accurate account. God said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? 
that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. God knows those who are possessors of Christ and those who are professors of Christ. You can fool people, but you cannot fool God. And in the day of judgment, God's going to sort it all out. Now, because Noah was a saved man, we get his behavior in verse 9. Noah wasn't sinless, but he was righteous in the eyes of God through faith in Christ, the promised seed of God. Again, remember Hebrews eleven seven. he became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Genesis 6, 9 tells us these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. This verse has been used to teach that Noah found grace because he had not been corrupted through the fallen angels. But I hope I've proven that that's just bad theology. And I hope to show this is not what this verse is teaching at all. At first we read, these are the generations of Noah. And, and I'm sorry, but you've got to do a little bit of study sometimes. This word for generations, it speaks of Noah's posterity which we read of in verse 10. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Those were his generations. You with me? After we read these are the generations of Noah, we find the punctuation of a colon. Now, Brother DeGarmo, you really just went to town in Sunday school this morning. I, I looked at Adrian and said, man, he's really starting to study deep. That was crazy, brother. He was talking about plurals of stuff and all kind of... I didn't know CE guys knew grammar, but he's got it figured out. <laughs> and, and so we, we find the use of a colon here. That's used to separate two independent clauses. i give you more reasons, but you know, I don't want to overshadow Pastor DeGarmo and his efforts. In, in this case, what it is separating is we're about to get more information about Noah. What are we told? Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. You see, what what we find here in verse 9, get this, it is the fruit of God's grace. For those who have been spared by God, there ought to be something about you that wants to walk with God. And so we find here what should happen as a result of being in God's grace. We're told that Noah was just. And again, this is all about God. God is the justifier. Amen? Amen? Romans 3.26 is clear that God is the justifier of those who believe in Christ. Romans 8.33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Say, what are you saying? I'm telling you this, you cannot justify yourself. Hey, you cannot be good enough. You cannot justify yourself by works and get in front of God and say, well, I did more good than I did bad. It is God that justifieth. And there's only one, one way to be made just in the sight of God, and it isn't through genealogy, but it is through faith in Christ. Amen. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith. Galatians 3.8, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. And we know the just shall live by faith. This is only by the grace of God for those in Christ. Romans 3.24 says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Noah was just, 
or he was lawfully declared righteous. His sins had been pardoned. And it means that though he was guilty, he wasn't any longer. Whoop! Listen, I can take a lap right there. Amen? To be justified is to be just as if you never sinned. And we not only read Noah was just, but we read he was perfect. Don't worry, I'm going to get to preaching in just a minute. This is all introduction. This doesn't mean sinless perfection. But it means he was entire, complete, he was upright, he was without blemish in the world in which he lived. This is why we read Noah was perfect in his generations. Different Hebrew word than generations used earlier in this verse. Here it means the age in which he lived. And so you've got to do a little bit of digging here, but this isn't saying his lineage was genetically pure, as some are trying to make it say, but it means he lived holy in the age in which he lived. And last we read in verse 9 that Noah walked with God. He was devoted to God. He was sincere in his desire to seek after God and to do God's will for his life. He lived in communion with God. Now, contrast Noah to those who he lived among. Noah was just perfect, walked with God. While those around him had corrupted themselves and they were filled with violence. Every imagination of their thoughts was only evil continually. That's not my opinion, that's what God said. Psalm 10.4, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. And, And here's what I want you to get this morning, and I'll try to bring this thing home. I want you to get from this passage today... Noah lived righteously in an unrighteous day. He lived godly in an ungodly world. And how wicked must it have been for only Noah to have found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Only one man or one family was walking with God. Matthew Henry wrote, It is easy to be religious when religion is in fashion. But it is an evidence of strong faith and resolution to swim against the stream to heaven. And to appear for God when no one else appears for Him. So Noah did, and it is upon record to his immortal honor. Noah proves, listen to me, Noah proves it is possible to live holy among an unholy people. Noah proves we can live clean among the unclean. Noah proves that it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says is legal. God's people don't have to live that way. Noah proves that it is possible to please God in a world that is unpleasing to God. We know for those of you that are in the public school, it is a more difficult day today than ever to stand for Christ. We know for those of you in college, it is a more difficult environment to be known as a Christian. We know those employed by the government are finding more difficulties than in any other generation. And in our nation's history, there hasn't been a culture more opposed to God than they are today. Noah did not ask to be born in the day in which he lived. And I'm sure those of you that are coming up in this mess, you didn't ask to be born in this day either. God knows what He's doing. We are in the the midst of the great falling away. Apostasy abounds. Please understand that if Noah could stand righteously in a generation which was so filled with violence and corruption and so steeped in sin that God says, I'm going to destroy all that has the breath of life in it, then in this day, we can be a beacon of light. But sadly, 
Some are convincing themselves that they have to back off of their stand for righteousness. That they just need to be silent somewhere back in the shadows. That they have to live underground in their faith. That they need to place their light under a bushel. And that they need to come off that hill that all could see. But I want you to take comfort. And I want you to take strength. And I want you to know that if Noah could shine brightly in the day in which he lived, then you and I can shine brightly and we can live for God in a crooked, in a wicked world. And we can let our light so shine that everybody can see it. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 15 and 16, that ye be blameless, harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. It is possible. You say, you just don't understand the the flood of iniquity that's coming to me. Turn off the internet. Turn off the TV. Make us stand for God. So you don't understand what they're teaching in the schools. No, I understand. But you have a right. You still have a right in this country to speak up. You still have a right to bring your Bible to school. You still have a right to read it in school. And you still have a right to share your faith. So you keep standing for righteousness. Keep standing for God. Keep standing out in the open. Let your light shine before men. Keep living brightly upon that hill for all to see. Don't go backwards. Don't cower in fear. Don't be silenced, but keep shining the light of Christ for all the world to see and hold forth the Word of God. The challenge is simple. To the lost, you need to seek after God. Do you hear me, those of you that know you're on your way to to hell? The challenge is for you to seek after God. It's the only way to find grace. The day of judgment is on the way. And you need to be found in Him or suffer His wrath. The charge to the redeemed is live godly in an ungodly world. Keep walking with God. Don't allow the social climate of our day to cause you to back away. We have God on our side. You're a child of the King. Mercy, I see the time, but I just want to keep preaching. Listen, we we have somebody to stand for. We have something to stand on. We have something greater than this world has to offer. And it is God's method to choose us to take that to the world. Don't back away. We have God on our side. Let's live like it. Let's pray.